Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Well, it's wonderful to share this evening, the beginning of this evening, with all of you. It's been so nice and maybe more than nice to see so many familiar faces and we, uh, we go year to year and the years go by quickly, don't they? And every year we come to this day, unlike any other day, this is the day it happened. He had perished by now. He was physically dead at this point. Between the sixth and the ninth hour is when he died and near the end of that that would that would have been uh, noon to three so here we are pray with me lord thank you we get to be together because of you we get to talk about what you did because of what you did help us now as we hear your word as we look at it as we understand how everything we believe as a foundation in your word. Lord, help us to hear your voice and to imagine what you went through and to worship you with our minds and our imaginations as well as with our hearts and our voices. Thank you that what you did was good today, even though it was the opposite of good to you. You went through the worst of the worst for our good. Thank you for this, Jesus. In your name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. So in 2014, my oldest daughter, Kelsey, she broke her arm falling off a horse in full gallop. She's eight years old. And her break was a one-of-a-kind, twisty, spirally thing for the record books worldwide. The doctors all said so. And she might have lost the use of her arm entirely, we were told later, and we know, of course, it could have been much worse. So after more than one unsuccessful surgery locally, we took her to Boston Children's Hospital, where we found the best children's orthopedic surgeon in the world, as far as we could tell, as far as what people were saying about who was the best. We found him, and he was willing to take us on, uh, partly because her break was so interesting. Everything she does is interesting. She even breaks her arm in an interesting way. And he, he loved looking at the pictures of it. That's what he does for a living, so it made sense to me. His focus and his goal was different than that of the other surgeons. For this surgeon, pain was his first target. He wanted to make sure that Kelsey would experience little or no pain for the rest of her life. People can find ways to defy mobility limitations over the span of their lives. But pain, on the other hand, can afflict the whole person for the entire life, not just an arm. So he was about reducing pain first, then increasing mobility second. And he was very successful with both. She has minor limitations in movement now and little to no pain. What an answer to prayer, praise God. Pain is a funny thing. 
And by funny, I mean peculiar. If something hurts, it might not matter how well it works. This goes for arms and relationships. It applies at work, at home. Pain changes what things mean. It shouldn't, some say, but it does. Pain changes how we see things and how we react to others. Your experience of your life and this moment right now is influenced by whether or not you are in pain and by what kind of pain it is. There are different kinds of pain. Certainly on Good Friday, we get a glimpse of God experiencing pain. What a thing this is. God being God must know a far greater variety of painful things. We worship a God who knows what pain is more than we do. We worship a God with scars to prove it. Scars we will see someday in heaven. Scars which will be the only scars there are in heaven. Denial, abandonment, betrayal. Perhaps sometimes we underestimate uh, the wounds and pain caused by such things. So every accurate portrayal of Christ crucified shows a body hanging on a cross. But maybe these portrayals are missing the worst of it. Maybe they're not really capturing the deepest pain that he experienced when he died for our sins on the cross. For to die is one thing, and to die in excruciating pain is another. That word excruciating has the word crucifixion built right into it. It has the, the cross or the crux in the middle of it. That's, that's how the word is built. And so he did experience excruciating pain. But it might not be the worst pain he experienced. And this is what the gospel writers emphasize in their accounts of Jesus last week and days. Beyond the physical torture of the cross, so much so that the physical torture itself could merely be a representation and illustration of the extreme emotional and cognitive torture. Beyond that, beyond the physical torture, we have the denial and the abandonment and the betrayal. And we have chapter after chapter of it. And it's all related, and it's up and down the scale, and eventually it even proceeds from his heavenly father. But it starts with those he gave his life to, all his effort and his time to. And so we start a journey all the way through to the point where Christ is proclaimed dead in Matthew 27. We start a journey starting uh, now in Matthew 26, 31. And I'll do one-third here and one-third in Beacon and one-third in uh, New Paltz. I think this is the only one that's going to be online, though, right? So this one better be good, right? In a way, it, 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 it is. It's early on. And usually when I'm reading the Gospels, I'm like you. I'm, I'm getting through to the cross, and there's a buildup. But if we, if we take our time working through that buildup, there's a lot here. Look at verse 31. I'll read 31 through 35 to start. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. 
Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So the best efforts of the best of us in all history, Peter, well, it just gets cast aside in seconds by Jesus. He says, Jesus, I'll give you my everything. And Jesus says, no, you'll give me nothing. In fact, you'll even take away what I've given you. You'll deny me. Now, it was painful to hear. And I think we, we emphasize that quite a bit. Oh, how painful it was for Peter to hear Jesus say these words. But it had to be even more painful for, for Jesus to say the words. It was painful for Peter to hear them. It had to be really painful for Jesus to say them. And this is what the gospel writers are drawing our attention to. This pain and this denial is denied by Peter. He doesn't even say, I'm sorry, I'm going to do that. Ah, I'm not doing that. You know, he's just, he just blows it off. And so whatever empathy, whatever support he could have given Jesus in that moment, even I will do that, Jesus? You know, all kinds of different responses he could have had. Instead, he just outright denies it. And it makes it that much sadder. And it's all suffering. This is like the nail driven through his heart in these verses and the verses to follow. The nail driven through his heart before they drive the nails through his hands and feet or, or wrists and ankles. We stay with this theme in Matthew for a bit. The crucifixion before the crucifixion comes into full view. So much so that these next verses we're reading and this whole scene, well, uh, there are some that make a strong theological case that our salvation was purchased in these next verses and that his death on the cross was more like a receipt or the signing of a contract that's forged here in Gethsemane. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This cup. We always think of the cross, and we tend to forget the context in which he said these words. He may not have been speaking only of a future cup, a future experience in the days to come that he wanted to avoid. Uh, this cup may very well mean this moment right here that we're reading about, this moment of rejection and denial and abandonment and betrayal. Gethsemane means oil press, and this was the moment he was most pressed. 
He suffered later, but he did not struggle. Here, he suffers and he struggles. This is the struggle. Let this cup, this cup, this struggle pass. But if not, if it be your will, I'll drink it. Rejection, denial, abandonment, betrayal, they're all experiences of being alone. And let's look at how alone he was. Verse 40, picking up there, Matthew 26. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So every year, something new in these scenes gets my attention. I mean, more and more, I can relate to falling asleep everywhere. I've fallen asleep standing up. I didn't know you could do that. You can Every time I want to sit down to read something, uh, I mean, there's been, there's been movies that Shannon and I have watched the beginning of a dozen times. We no, I don't, I, there's movies, I still don't know how they end. And we started them months ago. You know? We'll wake up when the credits are running. Okay, we'll try again. It's fun to do this with you, yeah. You don't need all the movies they have, you know, there's unlimited supply. I only need a couple because it's taken me a long time just to get through one. So I can relate to that part. That's easy. But a couple things stood out for me this time around. First of all, the fact that Jesus had to serve as his own lookout, his own security team. So no one else is stepping up to protect him in even minimal ways. He's the one who points out, look, they're coming. He's the lookout. And this, this lack of attention that he's getting, it just, it remains unchanged despite his protests, his heartfelt protests. The second thing that stands out is his second and then third request that he makes to his father. I've heard that so many times, but it really stuck out to me this time. Just like us, Jesus, in his humanity, struggles with the will of his father. And the struggle was real, and the scriptures are written this way to ensure that we see this. Jesus, yes, he suffered on the cross, but he struggled here in Gethsemane. And the, and the third thing that, that stood out is that maybe when Jesus said that thing about the flesh being weak and the spirit being willing, it was more a statement of hope than a statement of fact. And I say this because so often my flesh is weak and my spirit is unwilling. And maybe just as often 
My flesh is fine. My spirit is unwilling. The more I read these verses, the more I see the role of Judas as universal. And the older I get, the more I notice and regret my resemblance to Judas. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So Jesus' struggle seems to be gone when we get to his words to Judas here. Judas' betrayal always gets our attention, but here again, there's something else to notice. Jesus brought the fullness of his anguish only to his father and then shared only the sense of it with his true disciples. But for his enemies, he has grace and patience and the exact right holy mix of candor for the sake of truth. I get this backwards all the time. I don't know about you. Jesus had a much bigger problem with his father than he did with Judas. So do you. So do I. And that's how it's supposed to be. We take our God-sized problems to God. That's why we have Bibles. When we follow Jesus' lead on this, all our other problems fall in line under God. No matter how much suffering we face, we've brought it to God. Now our time with Him gets us through everything else we face. Jesus was alone in his struggle with his father and his father's will. But that's resolved now. Not my will, but your will be done. And he had to say it more than once, just like we do. Now, we watch everyone else struggle. Timing is everything. Verse 51. And behold... One of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? that it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So there's a lot there. First of all, wrong approach, wrong time, wrong way, wrong fight. These are the words he says to his disciples. This is a spiritual war. It still is a spiritual war. 
Whatever your circumstances are, whatever you're going through, your struggle is a spiritual struggle first. Amen? So, very quiet, amen. It's true. It's true. Be reminded of it by the story of what this day is all about. The verses in Scripture that describe to us what happened today. 72,000 angel soldiers. That's 12 legions of angels. Ah, it wouldn't have helped. Would have made a difference. Wouldn't have changed a thing. Not a thing. Jesus is saying, I already, I already have the high ground. I, I did that on my knees. That's where I did that. Offensive force is not my next move here. Physical force is the only option for this world without me and against me, but it's a losing strategy. It's the path of death, and I have come for life. Mine is the path of life. Don't join the side of the losers. Put your sword away. And he had a word for those who arrested him. He said, you think you're in control, but you're not. The prophets retain their authority. And do we see it again here? Yes, we do. He emphasizes that the scriptures are fulfilled. The words of the prophets are fulfilled by every move, by everything that happens and everything that's going to happen. So he says that to those who are working hard to assert their sense of control here. You're not in control. This was God's idea. It's his decree, and I've settled things with him. Not my will, but his. It's their word. It's God's word that I follow and fulfill. So, speaking of the words of the prophets, one of the prophecies referred to here is from Zechariah. And so, if you remember from Palm Sunday, Zechariah 9.9 read this way, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So he's come in differently. He's come in with humility as a strength. That's a new idea still, I think, to this day. He's come as a man of peace and not a man of war. That was God's idea. Zechariah 13.7 is now another word fulfilled by Jesus. And that's part of what he refers to when he speaks about the shepherd and the sheep being scattered. This is Zechariah 13, 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the shepherd will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. It's not really a comforting verse. And what makes it even more uncomfortable is that this is what God wants. This is what he decrees. This is what he says will happen. This is what must be fulfilled. So God's plan has not been upended or upset in any way. Everything has proceeded exactly as he's meant it to proceed. And that can be so difficult for us. And you see the story of Jesus, 
the story of him being crucified and all the, the cruelty that he experienced and all the pain he went through. And you think, how can that be planned? And as you read in the Bible, you see that it was planned. And it feels so insane. It feels so out of control. It feels so wrong. It feels like there's no God at all. Yet we have a God who through his word has told us that it feels like sometimes there's no God at all. And if there is, he's not looking on. He's not in control. And it's in his word, in this way, so that we can know in those moments, and maybe you're going through a moment like this. Maybe you just recently did go through something like this. Where are you, God? What are you doing? What is this? I'll refer back to this, your story, where your faith is built. He's planned it. It might not make sense to your eyes. The cup was not desired even by Christ. In his humanity, he said, no. Can we, can we do something else? I have been there. I don't know about you. Have you been there in your prayer life? God, I'm looking at things, and can we, can we try something else? Can we just do, I don't, this isn't really going to work for me, okay? So let's, uh, how about this? And that's, I don't know how many times that's been my prayer. I've given him my how about this list. But he is God, and he is good, and he knows what he's doing, especially when I don't know what he's doing. And that is built into the story of how Jesus paid the price for our sins. It's there. The shepherd standing next to God receives the blow of the sword, and those who follow him scatter in fear. What seems like a terrible end will become a wonderful beginning. But first, he suffers. Good Friday comes before Easter. As the song says, the new one, Friday's good because Sunday's coming. You know? Crucifixion precedes resurrection. So as we, as we contemplate this, let's let it carry us into Good Friday communion. Let's not paper over the pain. He didn't. He didn't minimize it. The scriptures don't minimize his suffering. They don't minimize his struggle. The struggle and the suffering came first. The pain came before the blood. Whatever you're going through in your life, there's a God with scars who has gone out of his way to show you that he gets it. So let your pain, if you have it, if you bear it, let your pain draw you close to him tonight. Join your struggles and suffering with his, knowing that his saves you from yours. Pray with me if you would. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you and we're in awe of your story. We're in awe of what you've done for us. We are in awe of what you've shown us in your story and how there's, there's comfort 
with every step, with every piece of it, with every word of your story, we find comfort from you, comfort that can't come from any other place, that doesn't come from any other place. It comes from you. We say yes to this, Lord. I pray if there is anyone in pain, especially that, that deep pain, that inner pain, that pain that is not physical, I pray that you would relieve them of it here and now. And that will be part of their experience of Good Friday 2023. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you went through this for us. In your name, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.